Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Now, from the Signature Bank Studios, this is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy want to begin this morning by updating a story we started with yesterday morning. And that's the story of Sal Herrera, the bartender who was killed, murdered on the near west side of Chicago, coming home after his work and stopping to uh, intervene uh, when he saw a group of individuals breaking into a car. Um. So one of the things I, I didn't appreciate, the reporting was a little confusing yesterday when we spoke about it, yeah. was not that he just started at working at Butterfield Country Club in Oakbrook when he was 14, but that he had worked there the past 28 years, including this is a moment up until the day, what, including up until the day that he was murdered. Oh, I didn't know that. He's been at Butterfield Country Club the whole time. I started to appreciate that when. Uh, friends of mine at Butterfield Country Club got word of this and started talking about it and posting about it. You can see some of their posts on my Twitter feed or X feed. Got to help Elon Musk with his branding. Um, responding to uh, the news of his murder. Uh, by the way, the membership, I understand, at Butterfield Country Club, including our friend Kevin Bastuga from Signature Bank, he's there, uh, are passing the hat for to raise money for his family. Oh, that's nice. Uh, but there's a lot of lot of interesting responses um, and um, um, people that are understandably upset. Uh, speaking of Bastuga, he tweeted, Sal was an absolute gem, soft-spoken, hardworking family man who always had a smile for you. He was a friend to everyone he met. He's deeply missed. Another, um, Brian uh, Tack, a great man who, a great man with a sweet soul who always had a smile. Sal will be sorely missed. Um, let me see, just some others here that posted, uh, Dean Duceus, he was a loving member of our BCC family, gone way too soon, uh, here comes Hoover is the handle on Twitter, he was a beautiful man, his family helped raise me when I was a baby, man was my big brother and absolutely the kindest man I've ever known. He was legitimate uh, and too good for this world. I love Salvador and will miss you, brother, and so on and so forth. So the reviews of Sal Herrera uh, continue to pour in, uh, and uh, and hopefully so. Hopefully they will continue to, because as we discussed yesterday, so you're looking for examples to extol, even in tragedy, uh, since we have to talk about all the bad examples all the time. Well, here was a good example uh, 14 years old at Butterfield Country Club, working to help his family after his father died at that young age, all the way to 42 the entire time. 
and obviously the people that were knew him professionally and personally are speaking up about him and confirming what appeared to be true was that uh, nice young man played by the rules uh, intervened, selfless, intervened when he didn't have to. And uh, in Chicago, where people play by the rules are not rewarded for doing so, he uh, paid for being a good Samaritan with his life. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro text line. I know, it's so sad because I, well, when you were off, we talked about how I saw four guys breaking into a car and normally I would stop or honk my horn or do anything and the, the most I could do is just call 911 because I, I didn't want to, I, I just, the, the fact that he was brave enough to do it and wanted to make a stand, good for him. But I just, I don't think it's, 10 years ago, yes. Now, no. Because they don't care. They will kill you. They do not care. Well, I don't know they, where they're, they have no soul. They're soulless people. I, I don't, it's so weird to live in this world. Well, think about that too. I mean, so you're a part of a crew that's breaking into a car you know that even if you're caught breaking into a car, that's not even a crime in Chicago anymore. I don't think so. But um, somebody happens upon you, so sees you, so could identify you, and you respond by shooting and killing him. Why? You know, to to go from to go from a breaking into a car to the possibility of a murder rap, and you probably think the same thing about killing someone that you do about breaking into a car. There's no accountability here. Well, I mean, what, to steal a catalytic converter, possibly? You're, you're killing somebody for that? Well, again, the uh, individual whose car was broken into um, said the uh, second time it happened, same spot. Oh, he also great. said he heard the gunshots and was too afraid to come out. And um, he uh, said, uh, he essentially said I, he apologized to Sal Herrera's family for not, and he's, but he said the whole city owes him an apology, he's, uh, the family an apology. He's sort of right about that. The whole city does. Yeah. Um, more apologies may need to be forthcoming as well. It's where things are at. Daniel Schmidt is a University of Chicago student. I think he's part of that um, uh, Chicago thinker mafia there that embarrassed Brian Stelter oh, and these other awesome. leftists that uh, came to campus to participate in panels for David Axelrod's Institute of Political Skullduggery. Uh, anyway, uh, he writes this about uh, crime in Hyde Park. University of Chicago, where I'm a student, has become completely unsafe. One of the best universities in the world, yet at least 10 students have been mugged at gunpoint in four days. This was posted yesterday. The administration is accepting it as normal. They won't even release info on what thugs look like, despite the victims reporting they are a bunch of young black guys who have done mugging after mugging and gotten away with it. University of Chicago, arguably the most intellectually demanding school in America, yes, that is arguable, has been reduced to a playing ground for black criminals. None of the students will speak up because they fear being called racist. None of the administrators will do anything because they fear being called racist. Is this all deserved then? Question mark? Perhaps, but consider the bigger picture. Every once in uh, every once uh, great in America, everything once great in America, excuse me, is now unrecognizable because the people who inherited it are too afraid of being called racist. John D. Rockefeller founded University of Chicago. Imagine telling him his chair school would turn into this. There's something profoundly wrong about that. If you're a parent of a high schooler, I would advise against letting your kid apply here. 
it's not safe. What a disgrace. And he's posted the incident reports of the muggings at gunpoint that he was describing. There's Hyde Park for you. Well, Obama's still, old stumping ground. Yeah, I know. It's so safe in Kenwood's real ne- next door. But I still, that story of 20-year-old Max Lewis who was on the green line, he was a junior at University of Chicago coming home from an internship from downtown and got stuck in the neck, hit in the neck with a bullet. And he used his eyes to tell his mother that he doesn't want to live anymore because he couldn't breathe on his own. And that story will, because your your story here is sticking with you, that story will stick with me forever because that was so horrific and such a senseless crime. Joe in Hoffman Estates on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, my brother in Schaumburg got his car stolen off the driveway. The ring camera showed three black guys. Uh, they looked like kids. They stole it. Mm-hmm. He called the police. Police showed up, um, and they said that uh, don't even bother. What are you going to do, press charges on them? They know where you live. And if they go to court, they'll probably be out in six months. And there's no sense. So the car's gone. He's just out of a car and that's it. That's uh, that's Illinois. It's not even Chicago. That's everywhere. Thanks for the call, Joe. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Mika Tosca is described as a climate scientist and activist. Is there any other kind of climate scientist? That's your kind of lady. You know, when I think about attributes that you're looking for in a woman, that is what I think of. She is an associate professor at the School of the Art Institute. Uh Uh-huh. That's in Chicago. Yes, I know. Uh Uh-huh. Climate scientist, sure. Okay. They're the hottest kind, yes. yes. Love to see uh, her credentials, but uh, that's for another time. She... um, has uh, invade on the situation in the Middle East. Uh, she called uh, Israel's defense against Hamas propaganda. That's downright evil. She also just sort of generally had this to say about uh, Israelis. Israelis are pigs, savages, very, very bad people, irredeemable excrement. The propaganda has been downright evil. After the past week, if your eyes aren't open to the crimes against humanity that Israel is committing and has committed for decades and will continue to commit, then I suggest you open them. It's disgusting and grotesque. May they all rot in hell. 
312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-360-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Yet another professor on the front lines, the School of the Art Institute in Chicago. Uh, Is she going to be able to keep her job? Not afraid to uh, speak her mind on the topic in this welcoming city uh, where I am certain in the next breath she would be extolling the virtues of tolerance and diversity. Mm -hmm. Now there's some uh, Jewish organizations, Stop Anti-Semitism, for example, that flagged this uh, posting and is um, expressing vehement disagreement, of course, with it. But the more interesting question is, why do you think this persists on college campuses? We've spent a lot of time since the Hamas attack and the response from uh, the academicians around the country including administrators, university presidents, or the lack of response in many cases, like at Northwestern. So how does someone like this exist at the School of the Art Institute, which is supposed to have a good reputation, at uh, these institutions of higher learning, these high-status elite schools? People come from all over the world to go there. How does does someone like Mika Tosca exist there, one wonders? And this is against the backdrop of all these mega donors to Ivy League schools and others, like hedge fund manager Clifford Asnes, uh, writing in a letter to his alma mater, University of Penn, writing to the president there. I've long been dismayed at the drift away from true freedom of thought and expression and speech. I'm 100% for free speech, but not asymmetrical free speech where some have it and some don't. Imagine Penn's actions at the event that led to this letter was uh, anti-anyone else other than Jews. Most distressing to me was your first statement making vague equivalences between the intentional murder of children and others by terrorists and the accidental injury to children that sadly occurs when murdering terrorists hide behind children to escape justice. I've recently finished a large five-year pledge to Penn and will not be considering another until change is evident. I do not like making something like this about money, but it appears to be one of the only paths that has any hope of mattering. Boy, talk about um, an awakening. <laughs> I mean, and even then, even then, you know, I guess you know, you hold out the prospect that I'm willing to change if you do. But, uh, you know, you're talking about Ivy League schools now, thanks to people like Clifford Asnes, who have multi, multi-billion dollar endowments. Basic, not to mention, they're all being subsidized by the federal government. Every university, maybe with the exception of Hillsdale College and a few others, is. And so, yeah, the money matters, but at this point, not even that matters that much, at least not a one-off, even a hedge fund billionaire. I've recently finished a five-year pledge. Hmm. Five-year pledge. Uh, How do you think your uh, five-year pledge was used? What what kind of uh, uh, psychological return on investment did you get from the last five years of investing in University of Pennsylvania there, Cliff? And it persists. And Clifford Asnes and Ken Griffin and Bill Ackman are not going to make not going to make any difference, particularly if it's not sustained and expanded. They won't.
312-642-5600, Turnkey Dapro Answer Line, 646-36DA, Turnkey Dapro Tax Line. Another one, I mean, uh, Jonathan Jacobson, my alma mater, University of Penn, is virtually unrecognizable today. It's been unrecognizable for a long time. Oh They're just waking up. I mean, it took I, this, I, I mean, really, for them to see I, that there's been hate going on. I get the nostalgia. You know, uh, I have friends from the time I was at Northwestern. We had great experiences there. I have uh, friends I grew up with and went to Bennett, you know, went to high school with and so forth. And, and remember the good times and the good teachers and the good professors and the interactions. And there was value there. I understand. And at many college campuses, there's still some value to be extracted, no matter how bad they are, because it does bring a lot of talented, uh, intelligent people together amid a bunch of ignorant people that are hate-mongering buffoons. But, yeah, so there's always, and not to mention the credentialing that's so still so important for status and for uh, opening doors, uh, economic opportunity. I, I understand all that. But the uh, willingness to pretend you don't see what you see, to pretend that you don't know what you know, to think that uh, you just let people say gas the Jews and, you know, it's just kids blown off steam. There's, there's no, not going to be every country. They don't really take it seriously. I love that they don't really take it seriously. It's like these terrorist organizations that whose uh, stated objective is the eradication of the Jewish people. They don't take it seriously. That's just sort of political posturing. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, it turns out that some people do take that seriously. And even if you don't take the, the kind of, that kind of uh, a reckless position seriously, a lot of other people will. And then you find yourselves on the other side of a terrorist attack in Gaza. Well, this just seems like, oh, it's, this is the cool thing to do is to be with Palestine. You know, it's like, well, do you know the facts? I mean, listen to this one lady. She's at a rally in Toronto, a pro-Palestinian rally. Not a terrorist group. Oh, it is a man. First of all, Hamas is not a terrorist group. Hamas is not a terrorist group. What is it, like a motorcycle club? It is a resistance that has been fuming for 75 years of colonialism, of occupation, of murder, of rape, of little children, of women. That's what they are. They are resistance. Do you think Canada is everything, a colonialist country too? Everything or? that they do is justified. Including what happened thing. last week? Every single thing they have done is justified. Ma'am, there were children murdered. So, I mean, that, that's what the kids are listening to on TikTok and on Snapchat. They see these things and, oh, okay. By the way, just a point of order, not that facts matter uh, when you're um, so enamored with your own self-righteousness, but... I mean, Hamas is 35 years old. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. And it's a terrorist group. So, so why, though? Why does that persist, particularly on college campuses, but also in the larger culture? I mean, yesterday you had this rally by pro-Hamas Chicagoans, oh, yeah. including the Hamas caucus on the city council. This... Um, this alder human named Jesse Fuentes. Uh, oh, he's Je such a try-hard Dan, but okay. She, she. Excuse me, I meant she. Uh, Jesse Fuentes, uh, she uh, represents the Humboldt Park, Logan Square area. Mm -hmm. um, and she was there with uh, David Moore and 
some other older humans talking about peace in the Middle East? We have to be able to grapple with this issue with the diplomatic and political will and social capital that we have to facilitate peace. Mm-hmm. Um, according to data from the city of Chicago, there have been 541 robberies in the last 12 months in the Humboldt Park community. That's an 83% increase uh, over the average number of robberies for the three years prior, 2020 to 2022. But she's not focusing on that. She's focusing on peace in the Middle East. She'll get to you in Humboldt Park <laughs> and Logan Square ready. as soon as she's done settling this matter in uh, the Middle East. So just be patient mm-hmm. with Jesse Fuentes and David Moore and all of these deep David geopolitical Moore. thinkers that happen to be city council members in Chicago. This is what you're, but but there's a political point to this. Why do you see this happening? Why do these, um, you know, mouth breathing knuckle draggers on the city council feel compelled to do their Rashida Tlaib impersonations before the Chicago press corps? And the same thing on college campuses here, and the same thing on the streets here as in any major urban city in America. What, what's the dynamic? There's an analog here. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line. Scott in Aurora, you're on Chicago's morning answer. I find it crazy that all these same people that have these signs up in their yard that say love is love and hate has no home here are the exact same people that are calling for the extermination of all the Jews. Yeah. It's it's but it's not ironic. That's the thing. It's it's a, there's an explanation. And there's an ex- and and by the way, there's also an explanation for how Amika Tosca could be a associate professor of some sort at the Art Institute School, uh, and essentially her job be largely underwritten, not largely, but significantly underwritten by the Jewish philanthropic community in Chicagoland. Hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, is that not a fact? The same uh, philanthropic community. With that uh, underwrites the same people who uh, threw out all those white women to be uh, th- that were docents at the oh, Art Institute because you, you needed more diversity, not more knowledge. How's that program going now? We should check in with that. Catherine DuPage. Good morning, you two. Um, in my opinion, I was telling your screener that um, it, it has to do, in my opinion, with this, the victim component of all of this. Mm. That, now that, we're getting that, somewhere. Um, now we're getting that somewhere. Such, that is such a big uh, part of, you know, the training and social engineering and what all that 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 there is being done with our our kids, I guess, throughout the whole schooling system. And so, at that point, this is strong. And that's what I don't call them Palestinians. What the Arabs have put forth, so that. Uh, one is the vic- one side of the victims, the other is the uh, the evil ones that are that do do nothing right. So that's my opinion. Thanks for the call, Catherine. Um, now we're getting somewhere. I had this conversation with uh, Shelby Steele yesterday. Uh, he'll be featured in a forthcoming episode of my Counterculture podcast, and I asked him about the Middle East and is this is the uh, Israeli Palestinian dynamic 
is that analogous to the black-white dynamic in America? You know, uh, per his analysis of what's happened since the civil rights movement in this country, um, that's been driven by black victim, which is whites and blacks getting together to agree that blacks are victims and to agree that whites are guilty. And the way to uh, mollify and uh, make amends for your guilt is to feed black victimization. So blacks have to remain victims in order to make a claim on whites. Whites have to remain guilty in order to, well, in order to get past this black mark, this original sin of slavery and subsequent discrimination in America. And so the plight of blacks becomes the responsibility of whites. Both sides agree that blacks should abdicate agency, the agency over their own lives. They're not individual sovereigns anymore. And so this uh, noxious dynamic is what has driven race relations and the race conversation over the last 50 years. And to what ends as we look back and see the destruction, particularly of the black neighborhoods and the black families. Well, it's not perfectly. There are differences, of course, uh, starting with religious ones. But there is an analog here, and I won't get too deep into it. You can watch Shelby Steele. He's much more insightful than I am, and uh, he drills it down. But something he wrote about this, white guilt is not actual guilt. Surely most whites are not assailed in the night by feelings of responsibility for America's historical mistreatment of minorities that they were not a part of. He's talking about the whites who were not a part of that. American liberalism never acknowledged it was about white esteem rather than minority accomplishment. For example, when he wrote this, and hasn't changed in the intervening few years, 4,000 shootings in Chicago last year, and the mayor announces this will be a sanctuary city. This is moral esteem over reality, the self-congratulation of idealism. Liberalism is exhausted because it has become a corruption. And that's the dynamic you see with the victim-oppressor posturing going on with the pro-Palestinian Hamas apologists here and over there. And I don't know if you heard yesterday, but the leader of Hamas gave an interview. And are you ready for this? He said the same type of racism that killed George Floyd is being used by Israel against Palestinians. Yes, exactly. And I have a soundbite here. I mean, he, if you that's 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 but but that's the that's right. exactly it. Point, that, right. that, that that exactly goes to it. They know how to play domestic politics in the West. So the invocation. واحنا بنعيش ذكرى القتل المجرم العنصري لجورج فلويد جورج فلويد yeah sorry it's hard to understand you have to see it both George Floyd George Floyd George Floyd three times right and that's exactly what's happening to Palestinians right now so so do you get the the racket they're running yep you should because we see it here There was this moment at Coe College, I've mentioned it before, just sticking on Shelby for a minute. Remember, at Coe College, you know, Shelby Steele was from Phoenix. He he was born in Phoenix, 
uh, on the, in the south suburbs here, uh, went to a segregated elementary school, made his way to Co College in Grand Rapids, Iowa. Cedar where Rapids, he, Iowa. Where he would. Sorry, there, there was different. Cedar Co-Colleges. Rapids, where 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 he was um, uh, a black radical. Really, Co College. Uh, white White guilt. He tells the story. He uh, leads a, bunch, a student group into the university president's office, who he later became good friends with, actually, that university president, and like had um, a fondness for him. He leads the, the black radicals, but he was, you know, black power. This is late 60s. Wow. And he makes demands on the university president. We want our own space. We want this. We want that. And his uh, rage was unleashed when... The cigarette he was smoking, he ashed on the floor in the university president's office. And he expected, you know, this was sticking it to the man. And he expected this uh, uh, confrontation. The university president would, you know, rise up and tell him who was in charge here. Uh, And instead, the university president backed down. Really? And he suddenly realized, Shelby Steele did, that the president wasn't acting on any authority at all. During the civil rights struggle, blacks demanded they be judged by the same moral authority that whites used to judge each other. This was the Martin Luther King advocacy. But when the ashes hit the floor and the president let it pass, Steele realized there was no grand moral authority. There wasn't some universally respected set of rules that blacks deserve to be judged by as much as whites. It was all just a power grab. And by the way, that's when the violence started in the 60s. The violence started after the 64 Civil Rights Act. I mean, coming from black militants, not before it, because they realized it was a power grab. And the claim of innocence which is just the other side of the coin of the claim of permanent victimization, was the moral authority that would go unchallenged and thus be the basis on which they could make claims based on identity. This is identity politics. So much of this that you see in the Middle East is just a Middle Eastern version of the identity politics that besets this country and besets the West in general. Bob and uh, excuse me, Bill and Waukegan, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, you know, one of the things I learned as a as a soldier was that you can have an opinion, but your opinion has to be kept to yourself. Um, nobody wants to hear, you know, you're bad mouthing our president or our, our leaders or anything. You can have your personal opinion, but you have to keep it to yourself. I don't. I hope that lady does not have a job uh, this following week. Um, because, like I said, you can have an opinion, but you need to keep it to yourself. Thanks for Well, that. thanks for the call. But no, you don't need to keep it to yourself. And no, if somebody uh, b- believes those things, whatever somebody believes, I-, I want them out. I want them to talk. That's not The art school at the Art Institute is not the military. And uh, schools are supposed to be free marketplaces of ideas, uh, good and bad. 
and everything in business owners now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank hi mike gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far signature bank was founded in chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow succeed and thrive their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name cares about your business and invests in your success that's why signature bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Tween. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the President of the United States, Mr. 10%, the big guy, Joe Biden, in Israel yesterday to address uh, America's position vis-a-vis the war in Gaza. Uh, He first said this about the hostages that remain in the hands of Hamas terrorists. As the American president, there's no higher priority than the release and safe return of all these hostages. Mm Mm-hmm. That's and reassuring. Okay. I think he's going to do everything he can yeah. as soon as he figures out where they are. That's essentially is. what he said, or where he is. Uh, he also had uh, this message for Israelis who have lost someone, who lost someone during the attack, or are suffering because a family member is being held hostage. I understand, and many Americans understand. You can't look at what has happened here to your mothers, your fathers, your grandparents, sons, daughters, children, even babies, and not scream out for justice. Justice must be done. But I caution this while you feel that rage. Don't be consumed by it. After 9-11, we were enraged in the United States. While we sought justice and got justice, we also made mistakes. I'm the first U.S. president to visit Israel in time of war. I've made wartime decisions. I know the choices are never clear or easy for the leadership. There's always cost, but it requires being deliberate. It requires asking very hard questions. It requires clarity about the objectives and an honest assessment about whether the path you're on will achieve those objectives. The vast majority of Palestinians are not Hamas. Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. You know, I hear that phrase a lot, but actually Hamas literally represents the Gazans because it has governance over Gaza. I mean, Two years after Israel left, Hamas became their their policing state. Uh, Don't be... Don't be consumed by rage. Uh huh. Mm. Why mm. is he telling them how to feel? Don't be consumed by rage. They have every right to have rage in their hearts right now. Um, People he also, are still missing, you idiot. Where's the uh, urgency for that? Well, I mean, it, it bothers me. I mean, we have five-month-olds, five-month-olds that are still being held hostage. And I don't know if you saw the video that Megyn Kelly posted, but you could see these Hamas terrorists 
you know, trying to play parents and coddling these Israeli babies. It's disgusting. They should be back in their mother's arms. And I just felt like there was no sense of urgency for that. No sense of urgency for the 13 Americans who are still missing and believed to be alive being held hostage. Two, including our from Evanston. Um, Biden also had this to say in a sort of a public-facing sit-down with Bibi, Benjamin Netanyahu, about um, the hospital attack and at whose hands that happened. We covered it yesterday, but of course the propaganda associated with it, blaming Israel for the attack on that uh, hospital in Gaza, led to violence in the Arab world, led to protests here. We'll get to that. But here's what Biden had to say about it. I'm deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. But there's a lot of people out there not sure. So we got a lot. We got to overcome a lot of things. Yeah, oh, yeah that was forceful. The other team. I mean, it's like this. You know, probably not the time for a sports metaphor. This is not some sort of competition. Um, wearing one jersey or another. Uh, number two, a lot of people believe something else. Well, right. So what do you say to those people who believe something else? This is something that Ari Fleischer, former H, uh, former W spokeshuman, of course, you remember, uh, had to say about uh, Biden's comments there about the other team. Inside that statement where he talked about the other team, which is a weird way to put it, he talked about how it didn't appear that Israel bombed the hospital. But then he said, quote, there's a lot of people out there who are not so sure. He's talking about the protesters in the streets of Lebanon and in Jordan. Why is he giving them any credence whatsoever? Why is he even citing them as being a source that should be worried about? Why doesn't he just say they're yeah. wrong? Hmm. Yeah, why not? Or why not say, why don't you drive the Muslim terrorists out of your community? Well, he's trying to he's trying to middle the issue, of course, because... Uh, on the one hand, uh, you have sensible people and you have Jewish Democrats who know very well what this is and know very well what Hamas is and know very well the Hamas propaganda. You just gave another example of it, the videos that they're releasing showing them caring for children in their custody that they've taken hostage so they look look how humane hamas is this is just what happens in war kind of thing um that's what they're doing in addition to trying to ascribe blame to israel for this attack on gaza and you you uh, put out and by the way of course the american press corps helped uh the new york times taking hamas's word for it uh, the BBC taking Hamas's word for it, and uh, Israel kills hundreds at a Gaza hospital strike. Palestinians say it's very much like the Sun, the NPR Times story earlier this week. Uh, uh, the man who stabbed Palestinian boy to death. Uh, listen to conservative talk radio. Prosecutors say the implication is about as subtle as a sledgehammer that's the new york times and the bbc all these western outlets 
taking Hamas's word for it and serving as propaganda arms for Hamas in the same way that the Sun Times served as serves as propaganda, uh, a propaganda outlet for Hamas and any other illiberal organization or person in this country. That's what the American press court does. Well, and listen to CNN. This anchor is denying the fact she's interviewing the IDF lieutenant colonel. His name is Peter Lerner. And this is right after the hospital explosion. And she's, she's, he's telling her that it was a misfire from the terrorists. If you're asking for proof, you know, you don't really want the proof. You just want to make sure you have a story. And unfortunately, there has been so I, I, much I, premature... Hang on, I don't want you to suggest... Hang on, Peter. This. This, that is it's, unfair. It's, it's I do not want you to suggest that we are not seeking the truth. You'll never be content with whatever I share because you'll ask for more and more and more and more. Because he's like, be patient. This just happened. Well, we we have... We have uh, the trajectory of the missiles. I know. Well, we have more than that. We have... Uh, the context, the the timing, the the context there. We have chatter that's been released that suggests the recognition of a misfire by the Islamic Jihad. I mean, right? But okay. the mainstream media just jumps in. They believe everything Hamas says, and because of that, Hezbollah called for that worldwide day of rage yesterday, and that's why you had in front of the American embassy in Beirut. There was a there was be, protests be, 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 everywhere be, be, because of what. Because they believe that the hospital n- n- was no. bombed by Israelis. N- n- no. No. Hezbollah knows exactly what happened. Uh, Hamas knows exactly what happened. That's not the point. They're not confused. It's purposeful. Uh, this was something that was, let's say, accidental on their part. They blame Israel. That's not confusion. That's taking the opportunity to use this for their benefit in terms of driving world opinion and driving rage day of uh, unprecedented rage yeah what's what, that's every freaking day that ends in why hezbollah there's no confusion what really happened hezbollah wants to get to the bottom of it that's not what's going on here let's be real well no i'm saying they, they gave them another excuse like to go riot and to have protests all over the country and all over the world. So on the one hand, you've got Biden having to try to appease uh, the Jewish support within his party, which is substantial. Seventy yeah. percent of Jewish Americans vote Democrat. On the other hand, you have where center masses in the Democrat Socialist Party run by these new Marxists these identitarian thugs and center mass is with the socialist spice girls. That's who the Democrat socialist party is. I know there's a lot of, uh, urbane, uh, Jewish Americans and others who affiliate with the Democrat socialists affiliate with these identitarian goons because they don't like Donald Trump or they don't like Jim Jordan or whatever, or they're pro abortion or something. Well, okay. You made your bed. But here's who you have to watch your president and the president of the United States uh, balance yourself with. In other words, uh, yeah, I see you, ADL. I see you, Jonathan Greenblatt. But over here, I've got Rashida Tlaib. God. And um, Rashida Tlaib and AOC 
and Cory Bush and Jamal Bowman, the guy who, you know, confuses, uh, confuses in quotation marks of light switches for fire alarms and yeah, so that forth. Guy. Uh, Sean, Sean Caston was a wannabe, right? No, they're all honorary members of the squad, as the Pelosi calls it, Socialist Spice Girls, as I call them. That's, that's where the caucus is. That's the base of the party. And so Biden has to balance. So going back to why does he say other people believe? Because he's got to balance. He's got to balance. And so this is what he's balancing uh, civilized people against Rashida Tlaib. Where's Tlaib? Continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital where children. You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and and the people telling the kids don't cry and like let them cry. And they're shaking and somebody you know this, they keep telling them not to cry in Arabic. They, do, they can cry. I can cry. We all can cry. If we're not crying, something is wrong. And so I'm telling you right now, President Biden, not all America's with you on this one. And you need to wake up and understand that. We are literally, literally watching people commit genocide and killing the vast majority just like this. And we still stand by and say nothing. We will remember this, but all of you, you need to know, I swear to God, Allah, you are on the right side of history. You are. You're doing everything possible to save lives. What is wrong with that? Stop it with trying to try to politicize this. Hmm. That's MF for Spice yeah. for you. She feels things so deeply. She's, she's an unbalanced human being. Unbalanced, noxious, hate-mongering thug. That's what MF or Spice is. Well, and then she called for a group to go into the rotunda. Was it an insurrection? Here's one of her supporters, why she's doing it and about to get arrested. We're here supporting Rashida Tlaib's resolution for an immediate ceasefire. We're here with a message for Biden, who's meeting with Netanyahu right now. I'm looking right at you, President Biden. Are you going to be the president that funds and enables a genocide, or are you going to be the president that puts your foot down and stops a genocide? That's what we're here to ask. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. We got a text message saying, uh, Dan and Amy, this gives everybody, everyone arrested on January 6th an appeal. No, not really. It was, it's, it's, it's a stretch. I mean, let's, we, we don't have to be silly. It wasn't an insurrection. Yeah, there were some uh, my, modest uh, clashes with police, mostly outside. There was a couple people dragged out that were arrested. They were doing a 60-style sit-in at the Capitol drum circle. It was, I mean, January 6th wasn't an insurrection either, but let's not, let's not be silly about it. January 6th wasn't an insurrection. Yesterday wasn't an insurrection. It's a protest, and some people got out of hand. 
yesterday and in January 6th, more people got out of hand. But but I mean, but, and and then January 6th is so much more complicated because of the involvement of federal law enforcement and everything that led up to January 6th and the backdrop of it and so on and so forth. But let's not do that. That that you know that that may be fine for. Uh, you know, just I'm seeing what they so, it in. I understand, and I'm responding to what I've I've seen all the Twitter traffic on and stuff. That may be fine for sort of these, I don't know, refrigerator magnet conservative provocateurs that uh, you know want to do the tit for tat game, want to do the I'm exposing some hypocrisy game. It's just without point. Don't do that. Be better. Dave in Elgin, or formerly of Elgin. Formerly of Elgin, now Fort St. Lucie. There you go. Uh, yep. Now, I find it ironic that President Biden is calling for calm and restraint when he's the one raging against MAGA Republicans. Well, yeah. yeah. There, yep. Yes, thanks for the call, Dave. There is great irony there. I mean, right, Hamas... Is what they did is bad, um, but you know it's not like MAGA and white supremacists that uh, represent an existential threat to democracies in America and the world over. Yeah, right. The lack of proportionality in both directions, sure, but that's also a feature of the rhetoric of you know ciphers like Joe Biden, Jordan yeah. Antioch. Good morning. Sorry about that. Um, you know, going back to what you were talking about uh, as far as Hezbollah and, and Hamas and them knowing exactly what happened. They, they do. They know exactly what happened. Everybody knows what happened. Do I believe that on that side, the, the, the Palestines are, are there's people that are just as uh, deceived and and corrupted as there are college students here and the leftists who just want to be the victim and have something to cheer for? Absolutely, I do. Do I believe that Rashida Tlaib is one of those? No, absolutely not. And I don't think that I think that uh, the the government and 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 people around that are making a mistake if they're not paying attention to what her and Omar and and Cory Bush and anybody that's working in their offices are who they're communicating with and what they're doing. Because Rashida Tlaib knows exactly what happened, but she has to fan the flames. As far as I'm concerned, these people hate this country. That's why they do what they do, and that's why they foment the the the, the anger and they drag these people who are deceased. I mean, come on, people. Hamas's doctrine is to wipe out all of the Jews or Christians. It doesn't matter. They are not going to discriminate between you. And these people are, that, are, that are supporting them, it's really sad. I pray for these people because you are supporting a group of people that want you dead as much as they want us and the Israel and the Jews dead. You don't, they don't understand that. Rashida Tlaib understands that, and she's more than happy to throw you in that fire to, 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 to support her cause. It's really sickening to see who we have supporting Americans that don't like this country, that hate Americans. I'm sorry. It's just that's what it's come to. And people need to open their eyes. Well, Thank Rashida Tlaib might the know the truth, but she might not want to project it. I mean, her president, who you know she's supporting, right? He's telling the world that it was you know a misfired Hamas rocket that hit the hospital. And by the way, yeah. it didn't hit the hospital. It hit the parking lot next to the hospital. And Hamas came out within 10 minutes, all of a sudden, like, uh, 500 people are dead. Oh, really? Okay. And the ma- mainstream media just jumped on it. Yeah. Um, the, um, the connection between the two, you know, Charles Lipson, uh, University of Chicago, international relations professor emeritus, 
um, writes about this, the uh, strange alliance, seemingly strange alliance between the uh, leftists in this country and Islamofascists the world over. It's because on the face of it, you say, well, wait a second. Um, the leftists in this country are pro-abortion. They're pro-marriage redefinition. And uh, Islamic fundamentalists are not. No, not at all. Uh, the, um, I mean, some of the comparisons don't really hold up because they do have some views in common when it comes to being censorious and uh, intolerant. But, but again, it's the solidarity and marginality play. Explained this before, and this is sort of building on Shelby Steele's analog to uh, black white in America that we were discussing last hour. Solidarity and marginality is the play of the left, cobbling together a coalition of allegedly marginalized populations. By the way, that uh, professor at the Art Institute mm-hmm. that we were talking about, uh, Mika Koska, uh, also a dude. Wait, what? Trans. You didn't mention that before. Yeah, I didn't pick. I, I thought uh, it had that look, but I a little bit mannish. So, but so it's all it's putting together. And so this is what I probably mentioned on the show before: is you know, it's you got to make choices. So uh, when it's you know anti-Semitism and Jonathan Greenblatt from ADL is on with Joy Reid, and they can talk about uh, somebody attacking a Jewish person for being Jewish in New York. They can say it's the climate of hate that's perpetuated by the right. Well, then they're in liege. But when it comes to something like uh, the Palestinians or the Gazans versus Israelis, sorry, uh, Jews, you're out. You're out of the coalition because you're, you're not really a full partner. You're a partner of convenience. You're too successful. You're too wealthy. You have too much status. We need to represent people that have no voice and for whom we don't want any voice we don't want them to believe they're they have individual sovereignty because then what's our purpose we need the masses to provide the basis of our power grab because it's through the masses that you gain political power you know i mean it's it sort of has it's sort of leninist as a as an overlay right there the vanguards and and but you need the unwashed masses in the in in the quote-unquote marginalized populations that fit the victim oppressor narrative and look at all the professors that are anti-semites and are you know against again pro hamas in their positioning and have been for a long time look at the the generations now that the bds movement has been afoot that's where it mainly still it's that's where it started and mainly still exists the bds movement boycott divestment and uh, sanction against israel College campuses, elite places. So that's what you have to understand about this dynamic where, wait, wait, they they don't agree on this, so how can they be in liege on that? Think about it through the lens of political power, not through the lens of intellectual consistency. Intellectual consistency is of no interest, zero interest, and zero application here. It is all political power, the means to political power by any means necessary. That's what you're hearing from Rashida Tlaib and her ilk. This is why they will continue to tell the lie about the hospital attack. Doesn't matter. 
does not matter what the truth is. None of that matters. What matters is how do we piece this together and take advantage of every moment in pursuit of political power. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, maybe uh, the sanctuary city of Chicago will be aided and abetted by other sanctuary cities around the country, like St. Louis. Apparently, the migrants aren't so interested in going to St. Louis, but maybe St. Louis is interested in taking some of those interested in being in Chicago. Uh, this comes to us from Carlos Ramirez, who's the vice president of Latino Outreach for the International Institute. The nonprofit International Institute of St. Louis is working with unions and philanthropic leaders to resettle possibly thousands of Latin American migrants to their fair city, the gateway to the West, to bolster its workforce and stem its population decline. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Don't worry, I-55 is a lonely road, but once they get there, they'll love St. Louis. If the migrants are going to be in a better place, St. Louis is going to be in a better place, and Chicago is going to be in a better place, and I think everybody wins, said Mr. Ramirez. So what's a win-win? Winning. Winning. Charlie Sheen. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if Carlos Ramirez has tiger blood, but he's ready to win. The program would be funded primarily by private donors who would provide housing for as long as three months. Yeah, you're going to have to step that up, buddy. Three 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 months. months. Sorry, that's not going to quite cut it. Maybe try six, but okay, go on. Cell phones, apprentice programs, and job placement through unions and assistance from immigration lawyers. Have you spoken with the unions? If you're talking about the trades, have you spoken with them? Um, If you're talking about government, well, that's a a different deal. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Also, he said, of course... St. Louis officials very much in line on and on board with this initiative, pointing to Mayor Tashara Jones, who is also a knucklehead, as is the mayor of Chicago, BLM Brandon. She created an office of New Americans, just like uh, his office of New Americans or whatever the hell he calls it. That means, yeah, um, he's got deputy mayors for immigrant, migrant, immi- right. refugee rights, and so on. They and do so all on. the heavy lifting. They go out of the town. They go to the town hall meetings. They're the face of this, yes. Now, um, Mr. Ramirez, our friend from St. Louis, he may turn out to be our friend, uh, said his group and Chicago officials are being cautious and strategically intentional, which is the best way to be strategic, is intentionally. Uh, I want to be careful not to all of a sudden get an onslaught of homeless migrants from Chicago and then create a homeless situation in St. Louis. Well, number one, too late. Uh, on the homeless situation in St. Louis. But, yes, you don't want to exacerbate that situation. Golly, um, how would that happen? Because uh, what what I'm, what I'm we're told here is that all of the migrants are uh, ready to work. Um, yeah, they're working. They're, you know, these are all people that, that want to work. Uh, uh, so many are, already have skills that could be, monetizable in this country and so on and so forth. But but I, I do like the idea of, um, you know, St. Louis uh, working in conjunction with Chicago to uh, 
to be a welcoming city. What could go wrong? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Yeah, we already have a total now of 19,000 illegals who are living here, and almost 3,000 are in police stations scattered throughout our city and living outside in tents. And then in Albany Park, now they've moved across the street. No, this is a good look. They've moved across the street from the police station and are uh, made, pitched tents in the area between the sidewalk and the street. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they're they're they're, they're going to take just a, a thousand and then transport them to St. Louis, right? I don't know how I feel. I mean, I, I well, I don't know. I don't know what the number is. It doesn't sound like Mr. Ramirez knows yet either. I, I'm sure they're doing a rigorous screening and vetting process. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, St. Louis is um, disintegrating before our very eyes, just like it's New Orleans, not. just like Chicago, just like Baltimore, just like New York, just like yeah. I'd have to go on record, and I think St. Louis is already gone. Well, parts of it. Well, in yeah. North County. Oof, um, so, but the um, honestly, um, to uh, bolster the workforce and the uh, and and essentially stop the population decline. I, they're, they're literally saying that out loud. And uh, apparently there are no consequences in St. Louis. The, the difference, of course, is that apparently the, most of the rest of Missouri has its head screwed on, which is not something you can say about uh, the rest of the state of Illinois, particularly outside of the city of Chicago in northeastern Illinois. But it is sort of a remarkable play to try to recruit migrants Without really the capacity, I mean, what kind of capacity does a nonprofit have to screen people? I mean, I, you know, if this is what St. Louis residents want, St. Louis residents wants, okay, okay, fine. But I mean, can you imagine what the capacity for a, a, for a city that is already beset by violent crime? And this is not to say that all migrants are criminals or violent criminals. It's a small fraction. I know. So stipulated. I say it all the time. But regardless, you're still going to add and and increase the possibility. And so what do you know? And you're going to do a better job of getting profiles on people from Latin and South America than, well, I, I mean, if there was an effort made, I suppose they could do a better job than the federal government who's making no effort. I don't know. It's just fascinating. I do like sanctuary cities working together, though. Yeah. The last thing they can do is tell anybody that they were wrong, tell uh, rescind their sanctuary status designation, work with federal immigration as they bang around their tin cup looking for federal funds, you know, be on both sides of that equation. We need federal support for this. We're going to provide local support for that. No, no, they can't do that. Yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. Um, and uh, the school systems and so forth. I mean, I'm talking about for Americans in St. Louis. Everybody's good with that. Like they are here. Or does it matter, right? Yeah, there's going to be a little squawking like we've seen at these town halls. But at the end of the day, it's a town that is run by and set up for the benefit of the public sector unions and the race-hustling politicians. St. Louis, you know, the microcosm of Chicago in many respects. And so 
Yeah, we'll get on. But it's we'll a get nice on fine. Deal. Free phone, a place to live. They'll provide meals. The kids could go to school. I mean, that's. Yeah, but but the problem is a little the, warmer than Chicago. Not much, it, but some. Well, yeah, uh, but you know, St. Louis residents, I assume, probably not uh, that different from Chicago residents when it comes to perhaps asking questions about funding city services for us, since we're Americans and we pay taxes. For example, maybe I I, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, it's hard to crawl in the mind of people that are upset with what's happening but can't see their way to decouple from those who are making it happen. Strange dynamic. Larry in Elmhurst. Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, St. Louis can handle this. They're closer to the equator than we are. They, you know, it's warmer weather, warmer climate and that down there. Hey, but remember I was telling True. you about the, uh, they have the, the Cardinals the too. Yeah. that were on the corner by me. They're, they they left as soon as it hit like 62 degrees. The barefoot guy who was walking the streets, he's gone. When it hit 62, I don't know if it was his wife or girlfriend, but they had two kids with him. She had a winter jacket on, a hoodie, and a, a stocking cap on, and it was 62 degrees. Yeah. Well, it's cold. It's cold. It's time to head south. I did the same thing. Thanks for the call, Larry. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. To Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The answer. Speaking of the uh, lawlessness in big cities, as we were, the uh, big city with the highest murder per capita rate, New Orleans, and um, maybe this is why the turnout was so depressed and uh, Republicans had such a big victory, starting with uh, Jeff Landry, the incoming governor there over the weekend. Uh, Soros-backed DA of New Orleans, Jason Williams, was carjacked with his mother. Oh, my well, I heard he was carjacked. I didn't know mom was in the car. Are yeah. she okay? Uh, he was carjacked. Hey. The suspect is an 18-year-old who has three other outstanding warrants for carjackings this year. He's carjacked three times, oh, warrants boy. for his arrest. He's out there. He finally happens upon someone, uh, well, someone who has the ability to enforce the law if he so wants to and maybe now he wants to because he's actually been victimized i don't know if that's what it takes when it comes to these soros funded prosecutors or not but i mean this is babylon b quality but that's what these cities are well that's what sometimes you know they need to feel the pain of their own political choices that they make I, yeah and we're not gloating in it or glad my you know mom's no. okay and, but wake up and this is the biggest wake-up call. I mean, when judges are going to have people in their families that are going to be victimized by people who should be behind bars, maybe they'll wake up. Well, maybe that's with the, this, maybe they'll wake up. Yeah, the point is that uh, no one's immune. Right. That's the point. No one is immune. If you think somehow this is just happening to other people and you can uh, walk around blithely and believe that uh, terrible public policy won't visit your house, then you're being very Pollyannish as uh, this... New Orleans prosecutor found out when his ideology runs headlong into a carjacker. I mean, and then look what happened to Pritzker. His house got, you know, this crazy person threw rocks in his house and was like, blank you, Pritzker. He's not on electronic monitoring. He tried to harm the governor of Illinois. Well, okay. Throwing throwing rocks at a window, trying to harm him. Well, he was inside, so was MK. Uh, uh, okay. They were home at the time. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Sure.
top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Your federal government. Who protects the Praetorian Guard in D.C.? Well, the Department of Justice, among other agencies, apparently. The story of uh, IRS contractor Charles Littlejohn. I loved him in Robin Hood. <laughs> What's the guy's name again? Charles Littlejohn, like okay. Littlejohn, like the character in Robin right. Hood. Um, Little John admitted to stealing tax returns for President Trump and thousands of wealthy Americans before leaking them to two separate out- outlets. ProPublica has done 50 stories with all the information he stole and leaked. Um, we don't know his motives, but he, he leaked Trump's information to the New York Times at the point when Trump was fighting demands for his tax returns by Democrats in Congress. He also uh, carefully planned to get away with the theft and avoid detection, as the Justice Department's documents, court documents, make clear. He used broad search parameters designed to conceal the true purpose of his queries. He employed a private website, virtual machines, multiple devices to avoid IRS protocols designed to detect and prevent large downloads or uploads. And um, even though uh, the... Maximum penalty uh, for unauthorized disclosure of tax information is five years for every instance. And we're talking about um, thousands of records. He's looking at a potential plea deal of eight months with a fine of uh, in the range of four to forty four thousand to forty thousand dollars. Violate the tax confidentiality of thousands of people. Get away with little more than a year in federal prison for white-collar criminals. That's what the Department of Justice wants for Charles Littlejohn. The old uh, Kleinsmith uh, slap on the wrist because, hey, you were – they won't say this. I'm going to say it because what you did was illegal – but it was in furtherance of our politics, including at the Department of Justice. It was in furtherance of getting Trump, embarrassing Trump, and embarrassing other wealthy people who aren't paying their fair share. How do we know that? Because Mr. Ten Percent says so. So, you know, it was illegal, but and you're going to have to fall on the sword a little bit, Hunter Biden. But it's not terrible. The Praetorian Guard and the Department of Justice as the in-house counsel. And by the way... um, who comprises the Praetorian Guard? Just while we're talking about the federal government, this Daily Wire story is um, really remarkable. It's difficult to be surprised by what you'll find when you start turning over rocks in D.C., but one of the things you'll find is Nejwa Ali, who's an officer of the Department of Homeland Security. She handles asylum claims. She's also a pro-Hamas former spokesman for the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Of course she who, is. Yeah. Who has post, been posting pictures on social media of Hamas terrorists parachuting in to Gaza with guns, writing, F Israel and any Jew who supports Israel. <laughs> After working for the PLO office in D.C., she secured a job at the Department of Homeland Security. Of course she did, at an, as an asylum officer, where she was tasked with applying immigration laws and regulations to asylum applications. Then, more recently, she moved over to be an adjudication officer for the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, where she analyzes amended legislation or policy, prepares written reports and findings, and reviews 
uh, matters to make determinations on cases for immigration benefits. She's the one <laughs> vetting asylum applications and benefits packages for immigrants. Anybody vet her? Probably they did. They did, and they're like, come on over. We one of us. You. Yep. There's your Praetorian Guard, and who is at the ready to defend the Praetorian Guard, even if you have to you know, do some things that are a bit uncomfortable, prosecution that's a bit uncomfortable to sort of give the appearance of equal justice under the law. Okay. For more on this and other political matters, local and geopolitical, John Hindraker, president of the Center of the American Experiment, contributor to PowerlineBlog.com. John, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great to be with you, Dan. Um, that's um, some interesting personnel choices as well as prosecutorial discretion we see playing out in D.C., isn't it? Dan, there's a, there's a popular perception that we live in a country that has two standards of justice, one for Democrats, one for Republicans. And this little John story is just more confirmation of that. It is absolutely true. He leaked all these tax returns, but he did it in furtherance of the cause, the Democratic Party cause. And so, as you say, he got the Klein-Smith slap on the wrist. We've seen this over and over again, and, and particularly from the politicized Department of Justice. Now, I'm sure you remember when Eric Holder, back in the Obama administration, described himself as Attorney General as President Obama's wingman. Remember that? Well, yeah. those are the good old days. I mean, the Department of Justice has really gotten corrupt under uh, under Merrick Garland. Yeah, I thought he meant maybe just at the bathhouses, but apparently oh, it was bigger hey. than that. Hello, maybe on the basketball court. Uh, um, so uh, yeah, it's it's re- it's really. I mean, particularly um, this uh, DHS officer, given um, the context of it, with. Uh, the president being over in Israel and expressing support for Israel, even though there's some equivocations there. Um, and and what you're seeing in D.C. and from members of Congress like Rashida Tlaib, we were just talking about uh, earlier, uh, it's um, it, it, the, the, the sort of enemies inside the perimeter when it comes to shared values. I... I this is what people who worry about identitarian politics like myself mean when we talk about the, uh, uh, the, the existential downside of identitarian politics. If you don't have shared values as citizens, as Americans, then it's not, it doesn't take much to descend into ugliness. Well, we've seen a lot of ugliness, Dan, haven't we? I mean, we've seen it in the universities. We've seen it from some church groups. We've seen it from politicians like uh, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and and many others. And it's been kind of shocking, frankly. I don't expect much from leftists, Dan, and neither do you. But these people have no problem with mass murder, with with gang rape, with, with beheading babies and burning babies alive with with kidnapping people with going around uh, cutting people down like animals uh, as as these gazans did and and we're seeing all these people and people from the arts world you know all these people who apparently have no problem with that whatever not a word of condemnation but if israel sets out to defend itself or god forbid to exact revenge which they certainly ought to do and i hope are doing then these people go nuts 
these people go nuts. And, and I don't know what kind of moral standard they can possibly be applying. But as you say, it's identitarian politics. You know, they've got a side in the, in the conflicts in the Middle East. And that side, obviously, is not Israel. And that side also is not the United States. Well, a lot of Hollywood elites like John Cusack, I don't know if you know him, but he tweeted out that Biden's trip was a disaster, openly hugging prime minister who's spoken about genocidal thoughts, showing compassion, concern for Israeli victims, not for Palestinians. He should have demanded to meet with a delegation of Palestinians, could have demanded a ceasefire. Well, the problem is, is that Mahmoud Abbas decided not to meet with him after the alleged bombing of the hospital, which really was Hamas anyway. So... What do you do in this situation? How can you convince these idiots or just there's no hope for them? Well, there's no hope for them. This is one of the things we're learning. There is no hope for somebody who who sees what we saw in this Gaza attack on Israel, the slaughtered families, the murdered babies, the rapes, the kidnappings, the parading of naked victims around. I mean, anybody who sees that and thinks, oh, that's okay, you know, that's okay, that's my team, there is no hope for that person. And, and the best we can do is, number one, hope that they're a small minority. Uh, I, I think they are. I'll come back to that in a moment. And number two, try to get them the heck out of here. You know, I mean, the ones that we can ship out of the country under the immigration laws, and Tom Cotton was saying this yesterday, let's get them the heck out of the country. If we can't ship them out of the country, let's at least get them out of the government, get them out of the universities, get them out of other institutions where they can, where they can do harm. But, you know, a quick comment, uh, Amy, on, on Biden's visit to Israel, which is about an hour and a half long. You know, he's but they said it was up. eight hours, but they had to refuel. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, a quick comment. I mean, the people around Biden are not completely stupid, right? And, and they know that 98% of Americans were, were shocked and horrified by what Hamas and the Gazans did in this, this sneak attack on, on Israel. And, and, and Biden did the right thing morally, and he also did the right thing politically. The vast majority of Americans are not interested in this, this equivalence between the evil that is done by Hamas and by the Gazans and the response to that evil by Israel. These people calling for a ceasefire, I mean, that's exactly as if the day after Pearl Harbor, people have been out saying, okay, okay, time for a ceasefire. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's crazy. Right, we fire, then ceasefire. Yeah, no, right, sure, exactly. who doesn't, who doesn't want little, that? Then let a little time go by, they're going to fire some more. Um, I wanted to get your assessment as to whether or not there's any hope for a uh, House Republicans to find a speaker, or uh, are we going to track to have uh, Patrick uh, give me Mick Liberty or give me McDeath uh, McHenry uh, be the interim for a while? Well, let's just hope it's not Jeffries. I mean, yeah, it's right. a sad spectacle. It's a sad spectacle, Dan. I mean, the Republicans have no party discipline. They have no party loyalty. They command a slim majority in the House of Representatives. And they should follow a simple principle, which, by the way, is what the Democrats do. Whoever gets the majority in the Republican caucus is now going to be the Speaker of the House because the Republicans are all going to vote for him. That's the simple principle that not only at the federal level, but at all levels of government. Yeah, that's Caucuses right. follow our caucus votes and the winner in our caucus, we all vote for him and he, he's the speaker or whatever, right? And because the Republicans are completely lacking in party loyalty and party discipline, they have no ability to hold their caucus together. 
and they have turncoats who will vote with the Democrats. And I don't know what these people want, right? Uh, they weren't well, satisfied with McCarthy. They're not satisfied with Jim Jordan. I, I don't know what they want, and I'm not sure what it's going to take to get us a, a Speaker of the House. Well, I mean, obviously, it's different people that are differently dissatisfied, but uh, still, the, the, the responsibility falls on the shoulders of Matt Gates and those who led uh, the effort to depose McCarthy, the successful effort to depose McCarthy, because we said this at the beginning, too. It's like, um, all right, um, you know, I'm not here to, to live or die on a hill for Kevin McCarthy, um, though I think he did a pretty good job, all things considered, up until that point. Uh, but if you want to depose him, then you better have a plan that is seamless in terms of succession. And his plan was, oh, you know, I like Jim Jordan or I like Steve Scalise. I would say, well, it's not you're, you're not the only vote. So how do you put together uh, the necessary votes to ensure that the transition is smooth and it doesn't splinter as it has. And of course, there was no thinking about that. It was just posturing over spending and a per, and seems that something seemingly personal, uh, with, uh, between the two of them. And now you have really sort of an embarrassing level of, of chaos and seeming incompetence at a moment where not only does it require Republicans to be speaking with moral clarity in one voice, um, but there's a huge political opportunity in addition to that. Well, that's exactly right, Dan. I, you make a great point. There was no plan. You know, it was it was ego. It was personal vendetta. Gates was happy when he got uh, McCarthy toppled, right? We got McCarthy ousted. That was the end as far as he was concerned. He had no plan. The people who voted with him had no plan. And, and here we are. John Hendraker is the... Uh... Uh, president of Center for the American Experiment, as well as a contributor at PowerlineBlog.com. Always must-reading, PowerlineBlog.com. John, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Great to be with you, Dan. Have a good day. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, all right, so... uh, you observed what uh, John Cusack had to say. <laughs> John Cusack. Um, I'll see your John Cusack, and I'll raise you a Wally Shawn. Uh, Wally Shawn, of course, uh, Princess yeah. Bride. Wally Shawn, Dinner with Andre, the uh, one, a great movie that your mom fell asleep during. Yes, she did. <laughs> Sorry, Louise just didn't like it. She was tired. She worked hard. That's a great movie. All and right. I, I really like Wally Shawn as an actor. And, you know, this is where you have to keep artists because so many of them so know so little about everything else other than their art. Wally Shawn uh, is a member of this group called Jewish Voice for Peace, mm-hmm. which are essentially appeasers uh, of Muslim extremism. And uh, this is what he had to say at a little... Uh, rally that uh, was held at the Capitol the other day. Certainly one of the most deliberate uh, cruelties inflicted on a group of people that I can remember and that my own government has supported. Even in Vietnam, there was a whole elaborate uh, explanation that people gave and they didn't quite admit that they just were slaughtering the innocent. Uh, this is very deliberate because, uh, and I also don't really believe in revenge and, uh, 
That's what this is. That's how he sees it. The atrocities he was talking about was the Israeli response, Wally Shawn, who is Jewish. Uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, Wally Shawn's philosophy uh, is about the same hubris as Vizzini's in Princess Bride. And you know how that ended for Vizzini. Of the morning, Dan and Amy. Um, for those who are posturing as peacemakers, calling for a ceasefire, saying to stop the killing on both sides, saying, as you just heard from uh, actor Wally Sean for the news, I don't believe in revenge. Uh, I want you to hear some first person accounts from Yasi Lando, who is a commander with the Zaka group. Uh, this is a group of first responders, volunteer paramedics, search and rescue individuals. He was on the ground after the attack the other weekend in Gaza at the hands of Hamas terrorists. He he saw firsthand he's responding as are his people. And by the way, as you'll hear from him, his people are Jews and Arabs and Christians. Um, there's no animus towards the Arab world writ large, but there is animus toward Hamas for all kinds of obvious reasons. But let's just let's just remind ourselves what we're talking about in terms of the attack that was committed and the atrocities that were committed. So it doesn't get lost in all of the propagandizing and posturing. Uh, On that day. You've been doing this for three decades. Did anything prepare you for what you saw 10 days ago? No, not at all. Uh, I can't say that I'm used to disasters because no one is used to disasters, but I went through a lot. If it's natural natural disasters or attacks, it's 9-11 attack, or it was in Surfside uh, in Miami, I was there. Something like this, this is the... I can't call them animals. I can't. It's a shame for the animals. But they came in and killing, just just for killing and brutality and taking pregnant women. I will say it, even though it's very hard for me. I saw it and I was there. The pregnant woman was lying on the floor. Her baby turned her over. Her stomach was butchered open. She had the baby, the infant, the unborn infant, still connected to the court, with the court, stabbed, and she was shot in the back. Which was a kibbutz, which was an absolute slaughter. You said even with your experience, you reached a breaking point. Tell me about that day. That's correct. When we went in, the first house that we went in and we saw parents, father and mother tied to the back and against them there was a boy and a girl small children exactly against them, tied in the back they were tortured father was missing an eye, was missing body parts from the, from, from the children 
and and they were sitting in the middle, this this ant, this terrorist sitting in the middle eating the meal of this family, the holiday meal they were eating over there while torturing the the children in front. Now, when you go into such a place, you use imagination. As I said, the, those bodies were talking to us. They were just talking to us. They they explained us. They they gave us the story. We saw that it never happened to us when we. I went into with my group and they, they broke. They said we can't do it. I took them and I told them, with your suit, with everything, we're gonna sit now, with the blood, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna sing a song. With it's like we sit with the family and let's get some more courage because we have a mission to finish. And you did that, and you went back in. <laughs> I went back in. Then I saw a. Much, much more that I can't even explain it. Uh, Yassi Landau has a message for President Biden and the West. If you had a moment to speak to President Biden about what should happen in response to this, what would you tell him? I would tell him that Hamas is 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 even worse than ISIS. It's not the Arab world. We have nothing against the Arab world. I have. We have in our organization Arabs, Muslims, Druze, uh, Christians, everybody. I like them, and I would say, I would say, give me a family from Gaza, and I'll take them into my house. I have no problem with that. They're suffering because of the Hamas. Please let us finish our job. Please help us to let us finish our job. We can't live anymore with those terrorists. They're torturing their own people, and they're torturing even more our people. For more on this, Seth Fransman joins us. He's a Jerusalem-based analyst and adjunct fellow for the Foundation for Defense of Democracy, senior Middle East correspondent for the Jerusalem Post as well. And as uh, we mentioned, he's currently driving north to the Lebanon border. Seth, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, just in terms of, um, you know, your perspective on the domestic political discourse coming from those who are, to be generous, pro-Palestinian, that uh, a ceasefire is warranted, that uh, Israel needs to stop the killing, uh, your response? Well, obviously you can't have a ceasefire because the people that were involved in, you know, massacring of 1,400 people and kidnapping 200 of them. They, they haven't seized their fire. They've already conducted the fire, and they have to be rounded up. They have to be detained or arrested or neutralized, and that's just the way it works. You can't have, for instance, a 9-11, and the terrorists go back to Afghanistan, and you say, okay, now we seize fire. So it doesn't make any sense, and I think clearly there has to be justice, and then at the end, then there can be some sort of ceasefire when the, when the people that did this um, are, are arrested or detained or, um, or meet their ends the way that has to happen. And, and one of the other things, too, just in terms of how that justice has to be exacted, you know, it, it's, this is not, um, you know, uh, uh, Munich, right? This is not um, it, it's something that can be done simply by tactical forces of zeroing in on specific Hamas leaders. They have infrastructure. We know about the underground tunnels where uh, sensibly a lot of hostages are being kept. They have weapons caches. I mean, this requires a, a conventional response, if you will, at least in the modern era, in addition to uh, surgical response. 
Yeah, I mean, Hamas runs a terrorist army and a, te- a kind of terrorist mini genocidal state. So obviously the only way to deal with that generally is to, is to go in there, just like you would any other any other group that has done something like this. I mean, as, as the Israel's prime minister said, similar to the Nazis or, or similar to ISIS, which is also what the U.S. Secretary of Defense said. So if you're dealing with ISIS, then you, how did they defeat them? They went into all these cities where ISIS was, like in Mosul, Raqqa. And they, and they eliminated them all. That's obviously how Al-Qaeda was defeated. It's how the Nazis were defeated. That's just how you have to defeat groups like that. The idea of just using a few precision strikes. I mean, how many members of Hamas crossed the border on October 7th? They estimate up to 2,900 people, obviously, from different groups. And they're holding hostages. So they have to get the hostages out, and they have to go in and eliminate all the people that were involved in this. Well, then how do you get the hostages out? I mean, you know, President Biden said yesterday, you know, they're working with it to get all the hostages, not just the Americans. But you have, you, you know, kids as young as five months old. You have an elderly woman who's a Holocaust survivor that they kidnapped as well. And I don't know if you saw the video that was posted with, I think Megyn Kelly posted it. There was uh, all these Hamas terrorists holding Israeli babies and, you know, rocking them, using them basically as human shields but while trying to take care of them. It was a very strange dichotomy. Well, this is obviously a huge challenge, and that's why you don't want to have hostages usually taken. So that's why Israel in the past worked very hard that that would not happen. But I think in the end of the day, there has to be a way to get not only to get them out, but also the international community has to come together just like it did. When, when, it's, when, the, when the U.S. was fighting ISIS, 70 countries signed on to the anti-ISIS coalition. So clearly the international community has to be involved in this process as well. And, there, and there's a lot to be done on that, on that front as well. So however it works, in the end of the day, the hostages have to come home and the people holding them have to be taken to justice. Yeah. And how is the international community, at least the part of it that surrounds Israel, coming together on the topic? Well, it doesn't seem like most of the countries in the region actually have sufficiently condemned this or done a lot about it. And we actually saw how some of them, when Biden was flying here, that they, you know, refused to meet with him and they signed on to this, this kind of Hamas disinformation about this hospital being hit. So I think it has unfortunately shown that despite the peace that Israel has in the region, there's a lot more work nevertheless to be done to make sure that groups like Hamas do not have the ability to continue to fly around the region like a jet set and get a red carpet from places like whether it's Qatar or flying to Lebanon or getting support from other countries in Iran or, or Turkey or what have you. How, how powerful is this uh, propaganda, like the propaganda surrounding that hospital strike in, in Gaza that, uh, w- including in the Western press, was essentially attributed to Israel? They took Hamas's word for it. So many of the outlets like the New York Times did initially. But now you're talking about that information spreading in uh, countries where the state has significant control on the flow of information, and so uh, the assertion and the propaganda gets out, and then they can substantially quell any of the truth getting out to populations that have been animated by the propaganda. Well, it seems like this was a very smoothly run operation by Hamas, which which purposely spread uh, apparently, you know, fake number of death toll or inflated death toll and was able to kind of operationalize not only Iranian-backed media in the region, but also this kind of Muslim Brotherhood-backed uh, media machine as well, which, which radicalizes people 
in countries, whether it's Turkey, Jordan, Egypt, Iran, or other places, Iraq as well, Lebanon, we saw attacks on U.S. interests and U.S. consequences of that in the region as well. We've seen now threats to U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. So this is a very powerful media machine. It's very important, I think, that the Western media not buy into this. We talk a lot about disinformation and misinformation, so we need to stand with our word on that. And if, if someone is telling you, well, there was an airstrike in a hospital and 500 people are dead, I mean, you have to go and verify that. And that, that's what Western media claims that it does. So it's important that they stand with their values. Um, what what does the response to what has occurred and the response uh, thus far uh, since the attack, what does that say about the real impact or uh, sticking power the Abraham Accords had? Is is that is that all by the boards now, uh, or is there an opportunity to continue to try to build? Uh, alliances, uh, stability in the in the Middle East between Israel and uh, the Arab world after this? There's lots of opportunities in the future. You know, things can change. The Abraham Accords are still there. But it just shows that you can never, ever allow or underestimate, you know, opponents like Hamas. And even if they look to be momentarily weak or somehow restrained or deterred, that they aren't usually. So... You know, this event on October 7th was some sort of a strategic black swan event. It was not something a lot of people thought about, I guess. And it has set in motion a whole bunch of very, very bad things like a Pandora's box. Obviously, that all has to go back in the box. And I think then the kind of ideas of stability and all the things that we were talking about on October 6th can, can return. But it will take probably time to get back there. And, and Hezbollah saber-rattling yesterday, suggesting that if Israel doesn't stop its response, then uh, Hezbollah will look forward, to, and, and they do launch that anticipated ground invasion, then, uh, then Hezbollah will join Hamas on the battlefield? Well, we're sitting talking to you right now from about a mile from Hezbollah, I think, on the border. We're in Israel, and we're right next to the north, so... You know, so far, it's been a bit quiet every day. There tends to be attacks, and Israel is obviously mobilized and prepared for that. Uh, I think that's the clear message we've seen from all the political leaders coming here, is that he's trying to show, you know, that, that Israel, that mu- Iran must not operationalize as far to create a two-front conflict. But obviously, if that does happen, it will be a very serious conflict, because Hezbollah is a very well-armed terrorist group that also has impunity over the years. To, to basically take over Lebanon, and the international community has not done enough to deal with it, just like they didn't do enough to deal with Hamas. Now, are you, are you concerned, and I don't know if everybody knows about this, because everybody was focused on the alleged you know, bombing of the hospital that was from an Israeli rocket. That was not. It was from um, Palestinian Islamists. But at midnight yesterday, the U.N. lifted its cap on Iran's ability to sell missiles to anyone it wants. Is that a concern over there in Israel? I think it is a concern. I mean, Iran has a very powerful missile program and a drone program. The ending of the sanctions is going to allow them to kind of put some of that programs on steroids and import stuff from Russia or North Korea or China. And, you know, they were probably doing some of that anyway, but it's going to allow them to do it with some pretense of legality. So, obviously, the, the sanctions of the missile and the drone programs and all this have to go back on. And there has to be monitoring to not allow them to continue to pour resources into that. 
Seth Fransman is Jerusalem-based analyst and adjunct fellow for the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. He's also senior Middle East correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. Seth Fransman, thanks so much for joining us. Keep your head on a swivel out there. Thank you. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Better get uh, the uh, lever and pulley system rigged so that uh, Governor Spaulding can find his willy because he's going to want to <laughs> touch oh my it. God, after reading this, uh, Dan, what what are you talking about? He's he's going to want to be alone with his uh, copy of the New Yorker. I bet the pages are going to stick together after he reads this hagiographic. Hagiographic, uh, the billionaire hotel heir and progressive hero. As the governor of Illinois, J.B. Prisker has managed to unstick a dysfunctional state government while pushing through an unapologetically liberal agenda. Can his strategy work on a national level? Writes Peter Slevin breathlessly. All right, everybody towel off here. Okay. The uh, piece uh, is interestingly focused on abortion. You know, he just started this uh, think big national organization to promote abortion on demand all over the country, like Illinois features. Yeah, I saw that. And he's walking a parade. I'm doing it for her with an arrow pointing to his wife. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm just describing for our listeners what the brochure looks like, okay? Yeah, it goes nicely with his wife's I'm with stupid t shirt pointing directly at him. (laughs) Uh, It's down there, we think. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Now you got me doing it. Stop. Uh, it's it's Such it, a compl- bad influence on it me, complements yeah. the T-shirt he put on after reading this New Yorker piece. Uh, Mister Wright with an arrow pointing up, and Mister All Night with an arrow pointing down. <laughs> Last fall on a sunny day in the Chicago exurb. <laughs> so thank you for setting the scene. These talented writers at the New Yorker. Last fall on a sunny day in the Chicago excerpts, J.B. Pritzker, well on his way to re-election as the Democratic governor of Illinois, mm. knocking a few doors and talking up his candidacy. A Republican had won every gubernatorial election in DuPage County since 1932, until Pritzker came along. Oh, yeah. He high-fived a kid on a bicycle and shouted, I love Star Wars, to a boy wearing a Luke Skywalker shirt. And the boy replied, I love you, Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> no. He did uh, not. Did he say that to a kid no, wearing a Star Wars shirt? No, I'm just assuming he did. Oh, this is, but I like your version better. On election day, Pritzker won DuPage County by 15 points, and Deb Conroy became the first Democrat in 75 years to be elected chair of the county board. Sure did. What changed? How's that going? What changed, DuPage County? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line, answer... New Yorker boy's question. What changed? He's got his answer. What's yours? His answer, strong Democratic ground game, unpalatable GOP candidates, and assertive approaches to abortion and assault weapons. Mm-hmm. When the Supreme Court overturned abortion rights, not what it did, but anyway, she's Deb Conroy. She's a mouth-breathing nitwit, so that's what you get. When the Supreme Court con- uh, overturned abortion rights, it really got everyone's attention. Uh... 
Republican moderates moved strongly to Democrats. What was left uh, was the far right and Donald Trump ride or die folks, said Conroy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Abortion, abortion, abortion. Interestingly, for all the hand-wringing within GOP ranks about uh, the pro-lifers, particularly in this godforsaken state with the... uh, the eunuchs that have run the Republican Party for so many generations here, and just absolute Benedict Arnold's, like Pat Brady. Um, it's interesting because this is, you know, a hagiography, as I mentioned here. This is a paid-for piece to pump J.B. Pritzker's national ambitions. And yet in the piece, the focus on abortion the focus on DuPage County, and they go through some other things too, but um, the uh, author writes, abortion animates J.B. Pritzker like no other issue. Jelly Belly Pritzker, his number one issue is abortion. Isn't that great? Question mm-hmm. mark? Mm-hmm. Is that what your number one issue is? Is that what everyone's number one no. issue is? It seems to be. It's only one he thinks he can win on. Well, I mean, thinks he can win. He, no, he no, is no. winning on. Yeah. Abortion animates Pritzker like no other issue, quote, unquote. Is that why you voted for him? 312-642-5600 is the number. Our Turnkey Doc Pro text line is 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pritzker's view, the political landscape is shifting. The old labels aren't important anymore. He reads the polls as showing strong majorities in favor of abortion access and gun restrictions and climate change, too, as young voters uh, among young voters. Uh, The author writes in DuPage County, where I watched him chat with the young Star Wars fan last fall. Pritzker sees proof situated about 30 miles from downtown Chicago. The county is one of the many suburbs across the country that will be essential to Democrat success in 2024. Uh, well, well, yeah, but DuPage County went Democrat for presidential candidates a decade earlier than Pritzker. This just in. Yeah, don't tell them that. If In case you thought it's just one election. Since uh, the last time Illinois elected a Republican governor, the Democrat candidate, this was Pat Quinn, lost DuPage by 24 points. But that belies something. Uh, of course it does. It's just cherry-picking data. Um, when Pat Quinn won in 2010 against Bill Brady, mm-hmm. he won DuPage County by four points. Oh. The trend lines were heading in the wrong direction for some time. That's what goes unappreciated. So whatever you want to say about Darren Bailey as a candidate or, or a downstater as a statewide candidate, candidate for governor in particular, uh, you have to go back and look at, you know, George Ryan in 1998, 72% of the vote in DuPage County. 12 years later, Bill Brady, 54% of the vote in DuPage County. No, I think it was actually 52, 52, 48, 52% in DuPage County. So 18 points in the decade that preceded Pritzker's election. Hmm. Since then, with Pritzker on the ballot, the GOP vote declined. The Democrat total rose by 8%. Tara Costa Howard, hey, Glenn Ellen in the House. Glenn Ellen has been called. Tara Costa Howard, who is a pro-abortion lunatic with a uh, fifth grader's vocabulary, 
Uh, grew up in DuPage. Back then in the 80s, her congressman was Henry Hyde. Now she hears enthusiasm for policies stripped of ideology. Oh, right. That's the policies in Illinois are completely stripped of ideology. That's what that this is their uh, fairy tale about what's happened here. And of course, it contemplates nothing about the opposition party, which is the big missing part of the story. It's all the the genius and the sort of the post. This is this is, you know, Obama esque. Uh, he's post racial. Pritzker is post partisan. He's no labels. He's pragmatic. He's a cipher for the radical left, the same as Obama was. It worked once. It can work again, and it's going to continue working given the. Um, collective lobotomy of i don't know 60 percent of suburban households in dupage county and the collars but i digress uh now what uh, tara costa howard hears when she talks to herself is enthusiasm for policies stripped of ideology and a notable increase in support for mental health treatment and other social services when was their opposition uh, as well as abortion access gun regulations this is abortion and guns abortion and guns abortion and guns emphasis on abortion uh, there's also a desire for sensible government spending habits reflecting a community that is right-leaning when it comes to dollars. No, it is not. Big lie. Big pretend. Talk about labeling and phony labeling at that. It's no accident that Pritzker is speaking the same language as Deb Conroy, the county, bear, county board chair, told me. The Republican vision has narrowed while Pritzker and the Democrats are pursuing policies that resonate with everyone. That's their story, and they're sticking to it. What's the Republican story? I don't know. Somebody tell me. I have no idea. Now, it is worth noting against the backdrop of uh, this sex act masquerading as a profile piece uh, that Pritzker's latest approval rating is about 40 and a half percent. And as has been the case for most of the last two decades, a over a supermajority of Illinoisans think the state's on the wrong track. And that's even as. A whole host of them have left for states that actually are unstuck, that are growing, that are hospitable places to live. But okay, that's their story. They got a story. What's yours? 312-642-5600. George in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, Dan, I haven't seen animation like this from a fat man since Jackie Gleason. Thanks, George. Matt's outside. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. I think Richter better get his priorities uh, straight, and I think you better uh, start focusing on white supremacy. I think that's our biggest problem, I've been told. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he will. Thanks for the call, Matt. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, all the hustles. All the hustles. And there's nothing new here. There's nothing particularly innovative or even interesting. But in the absence of opposition, you get to tell the fairy tale you want told about yourself. I mean, you have the, the comm shop, rich Miller is quoted in this piece, capital facts oh, creature so down funny, in Springfield yeah. talking about how, Oh, you know, it was it, for too long. Illinois has been held up by personality conflicts and so on and so forth. Yeah. Now everybody's getting along and things are booming. Really? Dan and Amy, Chicago's morning answer. Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Dan, I don't know if you saw this, but I follow Governor Pritzker on X, or formerly known as Twitter. Uh, 
he tweeted out, the Rock River is gorgeous this time of year. Illinois really is in the hashtag middle of everything because, you know, that's their big spoof to try and get people to visit here. It's a picture. It's not Rockford, Illinois. It's the Amalfi Coast. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. I saw it to you. And he hasn't corrected it or deleted this tweet. It's been up for hours. I mean, that's a, you know, if Rockford looks like that, I'm moving there right now because that is a beautiful place to live. Um, if Rockford looked like that, it would look like Rockford because of the property taxes. Uh, so, yeah, but no, I, I did oh see gosh. that. Maybe it's just it's just Grand Visions. He doesn't know. He gets, you know, airlifted around from the Gold Coast to Springfield and back. Um you know. To his place in Wisconsin and to his place in Florida. Yeah, around the world. Don't let facts get in the way of trying to promote tourism. Mm. I mean, the, the water is emerald blue. The homes are they're in a lush, you know, terrain. With yeah, this beautiful right. bridge. It looks like the island of Sodor. If you watched Thomas the Tank Engine ever. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I think I did see Gore Vidal's house on the cliffs there in Rockford. <laughs> so I, that was sort of my tip off. Anyway. Um, uh, I, I got something, too, I wanted to address on the yes, uh, bread and circus aside, which, of course, is more important to everybody than you know, their quality of life, public policy, the state they live in, the schools, et cetera. Netflix. Uh, Netflix is opening retail stores. Yeah. what? It's going to offer dining, live entertainment that lever- leverages its TV shows. It has not announced the locations yet, but... Um, brick and mortar Netflix outfits. W- would you go to a, a, a like a, a Netflix uh, experience, Netflix? like an experiential Netflix store? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I this is what I was envisioning when I heard it. I thought, oh, well, maybe they'll have cast members from a show we love. Well, um, they, they can't. They can't be everywhere all at once. No, I so. know, but you can have different care, like Virgin River. Some of the cast and crew from Virgin River may be at the brick and mortar Netflix store in Chicago. So then everybody would flock there to. Well, and if you go to the AMC in Chicago, you expect to see Harrison Ford when you go to see no. Indiana Jones. No, I don't think no, so. I, no, no, they're, they're talking about this being like a a restaurant uh, experience deal with their, you know, that promotes their their, you know, mostly worthless programming. Um, the, I think they under they they misunderstand the streaming services to begin with, though their own their own business. They're raising prices, by the way, two bucks. So. Um, I want to watch movies where I don't have to be around other people. <laughs> I don't want to watch movies or shows with other people. No, not everybody's like you. Some want to uh, interact with other people. Uh, the, I'm 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 of the philosophy of uh, William James, the uh, American philosopher, the father of American uh, psychology, actually, uh-huh. who said, "I've always found people interesting. I've just never cared for them very much." <laughs> and so that's. But I mean, why you want to watch a movie, the one of the rare movies on Netflix that's any good, and then you want to watch it with three hundred people eating cheeseburgers? <laughs> I don't. Well, you could just go to a movie theater for that. How does I don't get it? Okay, I don't understand. By the way, um, so I do have some movie recommendations since we're on the topic. Oh yes, for people. Oh, because... real quick, what was that White Sox one? Because I want to watch that. Uh, I download it. It was on Netflix about. Um... Oh, about about Mike Vec, uh, the Vec Mike family. Vec, the Vec family. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What was it called? Um, um, I'll look it up, but it was Mike Quebec. Okay. Uh, with the the uh, uh, Saints of Second Chances. Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Um, I've already recommended that. I really just need to d- dispense with this political stuff and become a film critic. But anyway, uh, this just was released on Amazon, even though the movie came out last year. 
Casey Affleck, who is a very good actor. Um, Dreamin' Wild. Okay. Don't watch that. On Amazon, Dreaming Wild. Yeah. And then also, you're going to have to, you know, shell out a few shekels, but yeah. Uh, that's one. I think it's only six bucks. And then uh, the other one actually is Mel Gibson and Garrett Hedlund, Desperation Road. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, like, action movie. But um, Dreamin' Wild is uh, much more, you know, artistic and uh, well-written. But Desperation Road is not bad, and it's pretty entertaining. And I recommend Lessons in Chemistry. It's on Apple TV. Brie Larson plays this chemist. She's brilliant, and then she morphs into being an on-air TV personality, a, a celebrity chef, so to speak, back in the 50s. So, No. Okay. All right. Well, that's a hard no from Dan. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The uh, woman, question mark, at NYU Law, who uh, now somewhat uh, famously lost her job offer at Winston Strawn because of the pro-Hamas statements that she issued. New York University Law Student Student Body President Rhino Workman sent a newsletter to classmates expressing unwavering and absolute solidarity with Palestinians and their resistance against oppression toward, liber- against, toward, uh, against oppression toward liberation and self-determination. Uh, the um, blame, she wrote, for the tremendous loss of life is Israel's apartheid regime. Hmm. So uh, Winston and Strawn, under you know public pressure from some of these uh, big bucks dudes, saying I'm gonna t- take the names and tell all my friends not to hire these people. Winston and Strawn rescinded their offer. She told the Intercept that um, she's maintaining a resolve. By the way, um, I'm saying she. The Intercept refers to her as they. That's important. Much like we talked about that uh, climate activist uh, associate professor at the School of the Art Institute in Chicago who is trans and uh, called uh, Israelis human excrement. The they, the, the she, the he pretending to be a she at the Art Institute. We have a they at New York, New York University Law School. That's important, the politics of it. Anyway, Workman told The Intercept, what's been driving me is the resilience of the Palestinians in this moment, the fact they're still using their voice, they're still standing strong, they're still here, they're asking us to continue to speak out and show up for them. And uh, I will continue to speak out for them and ask for these demands of an immediate ceasefire and this provision of the humanitarian assistance and so on and so forth. She is not at all dissuaded from her ill-informed agitprop uh because she lost the position at Winston and Strawn. Something else to take notice of for people that are rallying around Bill Ackman or Ken Griffin because they're saying, yeah, we're not going to hire these individuals and we're going to tell our friends not to. Like that's going to usher in some paradigm shift in the academy. I would argue it's not. And by the way, the criticism of university presidents uh, like Michael Schill, the Dickensian name Michael Schill at Northwestern, really is not coming from a quarter that matters to them. Oh, 
Dan Proft or other conservatives are saying Michael Schill is a fork tongue co- coward. Big deal. What does that mean to him? Nothing. As long as the professor stands by him, as long as more or less the board stands by him or stands quietly, which a lot of them do. And interesting, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a congregant uh, to a synagogue, high, uh, big synagogue on the North Shore. And he was telling me about uh, his rabbi, uh, who is a well-known rabbi, and uh, how upset his rabbi was at Michael Schill's equivocation on the Hamas terrorist attack. And, I mean, he had choice words for Michael Schill, even though this has been an otherwise you know, pro-Northwestern University person. And I said to my friend, well, okay, well, so when's the rabbi going to say something publicly? Well, you know, there's the politics of it. No, I don't know. Tell me. Tell me how in this moment, when you see institutional leaders that you otherwise support retreating from the moral position on the issue, that you don't say something, particularly as a faith leader. No, I, I don't accept that. Just as I don't accept the contrived, cynically timed pullback of big bucks donors to Ivy League schools after having completed their just completed their five year pledge as that Penn guy that we mentioned earlier in the show, or after giving half a billion dollars to Harvard as Ken Griffin has. Sorry, not impressed. Your private condemnation does not impress me. For more perspective on the academy, including our shared alma mater, Northwestern University. Pleased to be joined by Guy Benson, who, of course, is the host of Fox News Radio's The Guy Benson Show. And he is also townhall.com's political editor. Guy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great to be back. Thanks. So um, what's your perspective on our shared alma mater? Well, it's a place that I really love. Um, I bleed purple. I really valued going there, had a great time there. And it is so sad and upsetting to see what's happening. And look, it's always been a lefty place. It was a lefty place when I was there. It's a lefty place when you were there. It was not a radical place when we were there. And it has been basically captured by the radicals. The previous president, to get in the weeds a little bit, Morty Shapiro, Mm -hmm. a lefty himself, of course, but he was an adult. And he would stand up to these lunatics when it mattered. And they knew that. And he retired, and they brought in this guy, Shill, who was not their first choice. I think he was their third choice for various reasons. And he has just been terrible. I mean, I, I, I don't know the guy. I met him briefly once. I don't hate the man, but he's not a leader. He's butchered a number of big decisions, um, starting with the football coach situation and now uh, something much more significant. And, I mean, the fact that they basically was stood silent. This is a school that comments on everything. I mean, I don't know if you're on their email list, Dan, still, but they comment on everything. I think on they blocked everything. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, they're like, oh, let's, let's, delete, let's delete his uh, info. <laughs> but, you know, when, when this happens, when that happens, something in the world, something in the country, something that the generally that, you know, the left wing is fired up about, out comes a university statement about it. Um, you know, hitting all the buzzwords. And then on this one, very conspicuously, there was just nothing for days. And people started to notice. And people were sending me notes saying, hey, have you seen anything? What's going on here? 
then I was able to break the story because I, I, someone sent me an email, a private email um, screenshot of the president's office telling a group of alumni that the institution was not planning to make a statement uh, on this. So I put that out there uh, on Twitter. It really went viral. Uh, so the next day they ended up putting out a public statement saying that they weren't going to make an institutional statement. Um, and he tried to sort of separate his own values personally from that of the school and saying, it, you know, we don't want to trample on anyone else's speech rights by putting our thumb on the scale and paraphrasing. Right. Um, that would be inappropriate, except they do that every time for everything else. And they, they never care about, you know, offending conservative views on anything ever, except all of a sudden this one, they have to be scrupulously neutral. And he said, well, and so now, you know, I just don't think we should be commenting on these types of things in general. Then that didn't go over well, so he had to do a follow-up statement clarifying that they're not in favor of Hamas slaughtering Jews. I mean, it's been a mess. Yeah, but well, the, uh, also too, just just one, one, well, two points on that. One is, you know, Michael Schill does the identity politics response as a citizen, as a Jew. These are my views, but I can't speak for the institution. So that's right, pan, right. that's 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 rank pandering. Number one, number two, the um, he doesn't understand how free speech works, which is sort of um, a problem if you're a university president. Um, he can speak, and I can speak, and you can speak, and we can all speak at the same time. That's how it works. Um, so it's really. It's really beneath uh, the, uh, I don't know, the position uh, to be that intellectually dishonest and that much of a rank panderer uh, in in an identitarian way. On that point, just one other thing here, which I think is important. Since he has become the president of the university, the university has made institutional comment on, for example, the Supreme Court striking down racial discrimination in college admissions. He expressed his disappointment with the court and condemned the decision. Right. They also, Northwestern, did put out their statement uh, in favor of Ukraine and standing with Ukraine against Russia. Now, I happen to agree with that statement. I disagree with the Supreme Court one, but he had no compunction on any of this stuff, and the school hasn't for years. Now, all of a sudden, you have the worst killing spree of Jews since the Holocaust in a single day, and suddenly the wildcat's got his tongue. I don't get it. Well, what about the Asian American Studies program and their faculty members? They're not being quiet oh. on this at all. No. So, so because the university is not leading, you now have these sort of ad hoc statements going out from different departments and different deans. Some of them have been good. Um, some of them have been bad. And then some of them have been disgraceful, which is the one that you just mentioned. Asian American Studies... Uh, apparently the entire faculty of that department put out this statement, which was sent to me. So, by the way, I'm now getting, like, tips on a daily basis from Northwestern undergrads. I mean, I've been out of that place for a long time, but they're finding me because, you know, for all the talk of how students are going to feel unsafe because of words, which has been this progressive anti-speech tactic they've been using for years, there are Jewish students across this country who absolutely actually feel unsafe because of the things being said by their classmates about the deaths of Jews. And I actually understand this is maybe the first instance where a large group of people across the country is actually justified in saying this might not be a safe environment for us, given what we're seeing. So this was one of the many tips that I got. It's the statement from these from these professors, this is faculty. This is not some stupid 19-year-old who's, you know, hates mom and dad and has been taught to hate the country. These are the people teaching 
the stupid 19-year-olds. And among other things, they took offense. The faculty of this department at Northwestern took offense on behalf of Hamas that people were comparing Hamas to ISIS. And they said it's Islamophobic to attack Hamas that way, uh, which is just uh, an insane thing. I mean, just overtly like defending the honor of Hamas in that statement. And they called Hamas a political group. Uh, they, they framed them not as a terrorist organization, but as a political group. And then they did all the normal, you know, uh, genuflecting about you know, the Palestinian plight and Islamophobia, all the stuff. And then they threw in like half a sentence at the very end about, oh, and by the way, we uh, we're not anti-Semitic. We, we don't like that either, uh, which is not terribly convincing. It was a pro-Hamas defense from a faculty group at Northwestern. Um, and again, like, I just wonder if, if you're a if you're a Jewish student, um, how do you feel sitting in one of those classes? I heard from one of them saying, look, I, you know, when there were some hate crimes against Asian people, and we had the big hashtag stop Asian hate. We had rallies about that. I was fully on board for that. And, and here's pr- professors from this group of the school on, you know, the ad- identity group we were rallying behind against hate against them. And they're cheering on, basically, or justifying not just hatred, but mass murder of my people. Like, where's, where's the reciprocity? And, and <laughs> there isn't reciprocity. And I think some eyes are being opened right now in a way that is, I'm sure, frightening and disturbing as it should be. If only people would uh, read Shelby Steele. Uh, Shelby Steele had this op-ed uh, on Black Lives Matter a couple years ago in which he again described this post-civil rights era bargain between the races black and white and it's applicable now to all of the uh quote-unquote marginalized populations that have this suicide pact this is this is about power politics this is ideological he uh, wrote of the white black dynamic um both whites and blacks on the left need blacks to be victims whites need blacks they can save to prove their innocence of racism blacks must be put that must put themselves forward as victims uh, the better to make their case for continued entitlements. This is a corruption because it makes black suffering into a moral power to be wielded rather than a condition to be overcome. And that's what you have. And this is why I was referencing the trans thing for, with the NU Law School student and the School at the Art Institute uh, professor. It's the same deal. Uh, you run my identitarian scam with me and I'll run yours. But apparently there's an exception for perhaps the most historically marginalized group on earth because there's enough people out there who hate them and because on the grievance totem pole they've been demoted several rungs for reasons that I think go back to quite a lot of bigotry and also just anti-Western stuff and another a whole series of, I would say, very ridiculous and morally bankrupt calculations that is an exception now where I hope, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of American Jews, I'm not Jewish, but I've heard from so many of my Jewish friends and neighbors who are deeply alarmed, left, right, and center. I think the righties are kind of like, yeah, this, we see this, we've always seen this with clear eyes. Uh, I think some of the folks on the left who are aghast at what's happening, they were perhaps participants in sort of the bargain that Shelby Steele was just describing, and then they realized, oh, it actually doesn't flow back this direction Correct. where we need it the most. Uh, and I hope that is uh, a, a meaningful realization, because that needs to impact you know, behavior and future choices as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when people start to um, give you indications of where they're going, you should take judicial notice. I mean, the uh, I've mentioned this many times now, but the, the BDS movement, which was born and is about the only place that still thrives on college campuses, that was the that that's the, the those were some of the first steps down this path and and every time there's been conflict uh, in the Middle East between Israel and uh, any of the Arab world you you see where your otherwise fellow travelers in the West where they're going they the you yep. you you see where the center of gravity is in the party with Talib and Omar and others I mean if it's not obvious now it never will be obvious. And I think a lot of it goes back to this just absolutely really an ethically bereft framework that they use on the left, which is oppressor versus oppressed. Yeah, right. right? So, I mean, some of, this, some of this is just old school anti-Semitism. People hate Jews. That, that's very much at play here. Um, you mentioned Rashida Tlaib. I think that's where she lands. But for some of these other sort of fuzzy-brained people who just want to be pristinely progressive on everything and they want to make sure that they're doing all the intersectionality duties properly and making sure that all the victims are getting their sympathy and the other people are bad um the oppressor versus oppressed framework is i think a contributing factor here an explanatory one for a lot of folks because they see israel and they say okay um these people are successful for the most part it's a it's a wealthy country it's a western country they're allied with the united states you know, they look, they call them white, uh, which is not actually accurate uh, on numerous levels, but that's kind of like the quick heuristic thinking. And they're like, okay, on the other hand, you have these other people, and sure, they might be quote-unquote terrorists, is of course what America calls them. Um, I'm not sure if that's true, but they're poorer uh, for the most part. They are marginalized. Uh, they don't have their own state, and I don't really know why that is. Uh, that detail matters a lot, but Many of these people are ignorant, and, you know, they're, they look a certain way, and so they're the oppressed. Israel's the oppressor. So even if the oppressor has a bunch of its babies slaughtered by the oppressed, well, you know, you have to break a few eggs to get justice or whatever. That's the mentality that a lot of people have, and it is appalling, and it's, I think, incumbent on people who believe in actual human rights and civilization and that sort of thing to fight it aggressively, because the barbarians are fighting it like they believe it over there, right? They're, they're murdering as many people as they can. And going all the way back to your use, use of the word apartheid, quoting some of these people at the beginning of the segment, Dan, a crucial reality to remember for all the talk of apartheid, because they use that a lot against Israel, 20% of the population in Israel is Arab. They vote. They have political parties. They serve in government. They serve in the military. They have rights. They are members of that society. They live peacefully, overwhelmingly side-by-side with Jewish people. That's the so-called apartheid state of Israel. The only Jews, by contrast, the only Jews in Gaza are being held at gunpoint as hostages. And these people, com- these people call Israel apartheid. It's, it's absolutely backwards, totally disgustingly backwards. Do you think there's uh, any hope they'll be released unharmed oh god i i hope so i really hope so i mean it's my 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 hopes are dim just because look at who we're dealing with and i find it very telling that these these imbeciles calling for a ceasefire right to basically say israel they've called from a ceasefire from the very beginning oh israel don't defend yourself don't do this anymore take it lying down sorry jews you can't fight back 
Uh, you would think if they actually believed in the ceasefire and trying to get to some meaningful de-escalation, they would be rallying in the streets against Hamas, demanding a release of the hostages that are still alive. But oddly, guys, that doesn't seem to be their focus, does it? No, and and one, but one of the other things here, too, that I, I can't emphasize enough because not enough people do, that uh, the white guilt that Shelby Seal wrote about, the Jewish guilt, that's an analog that enables fascism, including Islamofascism, which you're seeing from Hamas and Hezbollah and other terrorist organizations. I hope more scales fall from more eyes as well. Yep. Guy Benson, host of Fox, Radio, Fox News Radio's The Guy Benson Show, and he's also townhall.com's political editor. Guy, thank you as always. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.